Well, you know, we sang that beautiful song, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. And uh, the Lord does want us to know, because He is our shepherd, thank you, we can at any time come to Him in prayer. Uh, this morning I took a walk along the beach, and it was very foggy. But I could see about three, four feet in front of me. That was enough. But it was foggy all around. And it was like the Lord was saying, Pete, you're not going to see the whole thing right now. You're just going to see what's in front of you. And that's enough. You need to trust me. And you need to keep coming to me in prayer, knowing that I care and that I'm with you, that I'm walking ahead of you. And I'll open the way for you. And I want to encourage each of you today. I don't know what you may be facing right now or even this week, but know that the Lord is your shepherd and He's your friend. And you can open your heart to Him. You may wake up in the middle of the night and say, now why am I wide awake? And the Lord may say, because I just want to spend time with you. Just open your heart in prayer. Or you may take a walk early in the morning and just turn to the Lord in prayer. God is there for us. Before we go to God's Word, let's bow in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your inspired Word, inspired by the Holy Spirit. We thank You for revealing Your truth to us through the Bible, the Word of God. We're encouraged. We're comforted by the promises of God. And Lord, today as we look at the words of Jesus, very significant words, may You strengthen us in our faith. May we walk closer with You. May we come to a greater realization that You're our Savior, our Redeemer, but also our friend. And that we can come to You in prayer. We can open Your Word and allow the Holy Spirit to minister to our spirit. Father, You love us with an everlasting love. Thank You for making that love known to us. Now reveal Your truth to us through Your Word today. In Christ our Savior's name, we pray this together. Amen. Amen. Well, I believe that every word in the Scripture is significant. Every word. Because every word is inspired by the Holy Spirit. That makes every word and every verse significant. Now here's a little trivia for you. How many verses are there in the Bible from Genesis to Revelation? Remember, at one time there were no verses. It was just all written out as like a long letter, each, each of the, the books. And then at some point in history, they... Put them into verses, which is for our advantage, chapters and verses. But how many verses, have you ever counted from Genesis to Revelation, how many verses there are in the Bible? Anybody ever done that? All right, how many would think there's 5,000 verses? 10,000? 20,000? 30,000? How about 31,105 verses in the Scriptures. 31,105. That's a lot of verses. Now, who knows what the shortest verse in the Bible is? What is it, Mary? Uh, in, in English, as we have it in... Jesus wept. 
John 11, verse 37. John 11, verse 35. John 11, verse 35. Jesus wept. Now, who knows what, what verse is the very center of the Bible? From Genesis to Revelation, if you were to find the very center of the Bible, and what verse is the center verse of the whole Bible? Who knows where that is? Okay. How many of you think it's Isaiah? Okay, we got Cliff. How many of you uh, would say it's probably Jeremiah? Or should we go backwards a little bit? How about Psalms? Psalm 118, verse 8. Or excuse me, Psalm 18, verse 8. No, it's 118. Psalm 118, verse 8. Yeah, it's a good thing I have notes here, isn't it? (laughs) Psalm 118, verse 8. And that verse talks about trusting in the Lord. Isn't that amazing? The center of the Bible, to put our trust in the Lord. God wants us to keep looking to Him. We need Him, don't we? We're needy people. I'm a needy person. I need God. As soon as I think I'm all right on my own and I'm independent and I can handle life, watch out. We all need God's help. Now, what is the most common verse in the Bible? The most common verse. If you were to go online and look at most popular verses and Google that, most popular verses, what do you think is the most popular verse in the whole Bible? Okay, Mary. John 3.16. Isn't that incredible? John 3.16 is known, at least when I was growing up, as the gospel in a nutshell. Did you ever have a little nutshell in, in Sunday school and you pulled it out and there was John 3.16 on a piece of paper? I still remember in, 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 in Sunday school, that was one of the prizes. It was a little like a walnut and inside you open it up and there was the scripture, John 3.16, the gospel in a nutshell. Now how many words are in John 3.16, the gospel in a nutshell? Now we're going to read it in just a minute, but before we read it, I, I want to just... Again, this is all trivia, and it may be part of the pop quiz next Sunday, so I'm glad you're taking notes. There's 26 words in the NIV if you're using the New International Version. So let's go there. The New International Version, or whatever translation you may have with you today, but I'll be reading from the NIV. And uh, let's look at John 3.16, and uh, we're going to end with John 17 and 18. But John 3.16 is our focus today because we're going to discover... In this one verse, 26 words, there are seven key truths. Key eternal truths in this one verse. It's phenomenal. John 3.16, follow along. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Okay, and you have an outline there. So the first point, the greatest reality. The greatest reality. Okay, and I think we're going to have that up on the screen here. Uh, Brittany, do we have that first point? The greatest reality. What is the greatest reality? Well, the greatest reality is found for us in Genesis 1 verse 1. How many of you have ever memorized Genesis 1 verse 1, the very first verse of the Bible? 
In the beginning, God. That is the greatest reality. And that's what we find in, uh, in, our, in our passage today. John 3.16 For God. For God. We have to begin there. Just like the Bible begins there. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In other words, before everything that we know existed, God existed. He has always, always existed. One little boy raised his hand in Sunday school and said, Teacher, who made God? Well, we know the answer to that. No one made God. God is God. He has always existed. Now, there are not many gods, as some in our world uh, teach. They teach that there's many gods. We know the Hindus. What do they have? Some 10,000 different gods? And they're adding to the, that number all the time. And there's other religions in our world that teach that there are multiple gods. And yet the Word of God, the Bible, inspired by the Holy Spirit, makes it very clear there is only one God, Creator of heaven and earth, and He's the ruler of the universe. He not only created the universe, but He rules the universe. One God, whose Scripture reveals Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Not three gods, three persons. But one God, we call that the Trinity or Triunity or Godhead. Jesus, as he was explaining to Nicodemus the way of salvation, he said, for God, he made it very clear. Here's the foundation. You need to start with that truth. If you miss that truth, then you miss everything. There's one God, three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, we know that in our nation, there are churches that teach differently. They teach that Jesus is only God and that Jesus is the Father and the Holy Spirit. They're, they're called Jesus-only churches. Well, they're, they're not correct according to the Bible. Even Jesus, at the end of His ministry, said, you're to go and baptize people in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Three persons, one God. We're to honor God above all. God is a reality for us. Take your Bibles and go with me to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. And I'm going to read verse 6 because we know this to be the great faith chapter where those who were heroes of the faith are listed in this chapter. And it's fascinating to see the revelation of God in Hebrews 11. So I'm going to give you just a moment to, to find it. Now, my, my Bible is page 1061. I don't know if that will help anybody. But Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. And you can just listen as I read it here. And without faith, it is impossible to, to please God, capital G, notice that, because anyone who comes to Him must believe that He exists and that He is the rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. Okay, so if we're to come to God, we come in faith, but we have to believe that He exists, that He truly is God. Now, I encounter people who say, oh, I believe there's a Creator. I believe that someone had to design this universe when I look at the stars, when, when I see the beautiful mountains and the creation. But see, they don't know God because they don't have faith in who God has revealed Himself to be, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They just think of some big entity that exists out there, but they have no relationship. 
See, God created the world, and then He created humanity, and He had relationship with Adam first, and then with Eve. That brings us to the second point. The greatest love. Because Jesus said, for God so loved. So the second point on your outline, the greatest love. That is a truth that we need to embrace. God is a God of love. This is one of His attributes, one of His characteristics. It's His nature. God loves the creation that He made. And who are the crown of His creation? You and I. Do you know today that God loves you? There are many people in our world that sit in church and they don't believe God loves them. They believe they're just too bad for God to love them. Well, that's how God showed His love. He sent His Son Jesus to die on the cross to forgive their sins so that we might have the assurance we are loved. God loves His creation and He loves every person that He has allowed to exist that has life. God is a God of love. We are made in God's image. And we should respect that. The important thing is what Solomon tells us in Ecclesiastes 3. So let's go there in our Bibles. Ecclesiastes 3. That's Psalms, Proverbs, and then Ecclesiastes. And chapter 3, we, we have a, a famous passage. I remember when I was growing up in high school, uh, the group The Birds you know, one of the old rock and roll groups, they, they took this song and, or took this scripture and made a song out of it. For everything there is a, a season and a, and a time under heaven. And some of you of that generation remember, you know, the, the, how that went. But look at verse 11, Ecclesiastes 3.11. Here is a truth that the Holy Spirit put on the heart of Solomon to reveal to all humanity. God has made everything beautiful in its time. Here it is. He has also set what? Eternity. Notice that. He has set eternity in the hearts of men, or mankind is, is a, a more accurate translation there. Yet they cannot fathom what God has done from beginning to end. Okay, what we come to realize is God loves His creation, and God wants relationship with His creation. And God has given every living person an eternal spirit. He has set eternity in my heart and in your heart and in every person who has ever lived. We have an eternal spirit. And do you know what the Holy Spirit inspired Solomon to write in Ecclesiastes 12? That when we die, our bodies return to the ground that it came from, the dust to dust and ashes to ashes. But our spirit, notice this, our spirit returns to God who gave it. We have an eternal spirit. Do you know that there are people who believe that when they die, they're just going to be buried and, and that's it. There's no more. There's no afterlife. There's no eternity. Many people believe it. it's over and done. Nothing more. Well, they're in for quite a shock, aren't they? Yeah, because God who created all things, created humanity, put eternity in our hearts. And we will all stand before God in the end. But God so loved His creation that He reached out to reveal His love. That brings us to point number three. The greatest need. For God so loved the world. For God so loved the world. We all are well aware 
of the effects of the fall that are revealed to us in the book of Genesis. Paradise lost. When Adam and Eve chose to disobey God and, and, and rebel against Him, uh, they were removed from Eden because of their sin. They were separated from God because God is holy. That's another part of His nature. And because of their sin, well, they had a great need. Now, did the need just stay with Adam and Eve? No, the need spread to the whole world. It's like the virus. Because Adam and Eve had the sin virus, everyone who comes from Adam and Eve would be affected. Or infected would maybe be a more accurate word. And all humanity come from Adam and Eve. They're our first parents. We all have the sin virus. We have a need. And that need is to have our sin dealt with because sin has brought a curse on humanity. God made that very clear from the very beginning. Sin has put up a wall between us and God. It has alienated us from God. And we continue in our world to see the effects of sin and the devastation. So what is the greatest need? The greatest need is to bridge that gap between us and God. In other words, to bring down that wall, that sin barrier, to be reconciled, to be reconciled back to God. We have a great need. And many in our world don't believe that they're in need. They say, I'm a good person. I haven't robbed the bank. I haven't murdered anybody. I haven't uh, done this or done that. So, you know, I'm basically a good person. And if there is a God, and if there is an eternity, well... I'm sure God will say, you know, come on into heaven because you're such a good person. Well, we know that's not true, is it? Because even the Apostle Paul said, there is none righteous. We're all guilty. We all fall short of the glory of God. Even one sin is enough to separate me from God. That's reality. I fall short of the glory of God. But you see, when I come to recognize my need then I can look to God who is able to meet that need. That brings us to the next point of the greatest gift. The greatest gift. For God so loved the world, the world in need, and here's the greatest gift, that He gave. He gave His one and only Son. God is a giving God. Can you say amen to that? He gives us mercy. He gives us grace. He gives us love. And do you know what the most profound thing is? He has given us Himself. The Son, who is God, Jesus Christ, true God, became one of us, entered humanity, was conceived by the Virgin Mary. He was sinless, but took on flesh so that He might represent peat batches and you can put your name there. He might represent you by dying on the cross. That is the greatest gift God gave Himself. Some theologians say the greatest miracle that has ever taken place in the history of humanity is the miracle of the Incarnation. God becoming man. The greatest miracle. Now we might say the resurrection is the greatest miracle. Well, when you think of it, the very fact that God became man, I, I, would, I would agree with those theologians that say that is 
That is the greatest. The other ones are great. But the fact that God became one of us so that He might redeem us. He gave Himself as a gift to you and to me that we might be reconciled and restored in a relationship with Him. Now, when Jesus died, what was, was it a cynical plot or a diabolical plot or a big accident that happened? No, if we look at Scripture, we see it was God's plan. God planned from the very beginning when mankind sinned, when Adam and Eve sinned, that He would send a Savior. Now, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, and you might take notes on this, it might be on the pop quiz next week. Genesis 3.16 gives us a promise referring to the gift because the Lord says to Satan that from the seed of a woman will come one who will bruise his head. Even though you will bruise his heel, in other words, you will inflict a wound, he will mortally wound you. He will bruise your head. That was the first promise of God's gift to humanity. Genesis 3, verse 15. In the Garden of Eden. So, thousands of years before Jesus was conceived in Mary, the Virgin, by the Holy Spirit, the promise, the plan, was already in place. It was the plan of God that Jesus would die on the cross. You know what? Scripture tells us that cursed is everyone who dies on a tree. Jesus hung, He died on the cross, on the wooden cross, to take the curse of humanity upon Himself. There's no greater gift in all the world, and there will be no greater gift than the fact that Jesus as God came to earth on our behalf. Now, some people have told me, well, Pastor Pete, you know what? I believe there are many ways to God. And we just get to pick what's right for us, what we think fits for us. And in the end, all those ways are going to lead to God. And we're all going to be in heaven together. Doesn't that sound wonderful, Pastor Pete? Well, I have a question for them. If there are many ways or other ways to be reconciled to the Father, why did Jesus have to die? Why did He have to be shamed and scorned and beaten and crucified? If there's other ways, why didn't God say, I'm going to spare My Son all the pain and rejection and I'm just going to let people take one of the other ways to get to Me? But you see, there is no other way. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. This is His Word. No one comes to the Father but by Me. He's the only way to the Father. There's no other way. So that kind of puts it to rest, doesn't it? They can argue with me, but they can't argue with Jesus. Because Jesus is the one who declared, this is the truth. You either believe it or you don't. It's God's greatest gift to us. Isaiah 53, we read about the suffering servant. See, the Holy Spirit inspired the prophet to reveal what the Messiah would have to go through. He would suffer. He would be rejected by God. He would have to give His life so that you and I might have eternal life. Sometime this week, let me encourage you to read Isaiah 53 and think about the gift that God the Father gave to you by sending His Son. Well, that brings us to number five. Number five of the greatest truths from 
John 3.16 is the greatest promise. And the promise is that whosoever believes in Him, for God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, here's the promise that whosoever... Now, we might ask today, who are the whosoever? Well, I'm one of the whosoever. You're one of the whosoever. See, we who know what God has done for us have great joy in saying that God, that, that whoever, that whosoever, uh, with me in mind, God had me in mind when He sent His Son and when His Son died on the cross, that if I believe on Him, there's the promise. You see, the Apostle Peter in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9 said, God is no respecter of persons. He desires for none to perish. None, but for all to have everlasting life. God opens His arms wide. I believe this church needs to be the church of the open arms. That you too, like Jesus, you open your arms wide to receive people. There are a lot of hurting people in this community. Why can I say that? Because I've been in a lot of communities and in every community I've lived, there's hurting people. People with needs. The most important need is the spiritual need. And there are people who drive by this church every day that wonder, if I were to come there, would people accept me? Would people even receive me? Would they even... Talk to me? Now, if a visitor should come into here for the very first time from the community, they're going to be looking for how evident the love of God is. You have a great opportunity. If they're sitting up here by themselves, you have an opportunity to get up out of your seat and come and sit by them and make them feel welcome. That's not just the pastor's responsibility. Some people think it is. I've been in churches where they think, well, the pastor should be out there greeting and the pastor should be the one, you know, shaking hands. And Well, he should, but the people should be there first. And he should be there later to follow up. Because that person who's coming up, coming in, is wondering, are there any other people like me that need hope and that need help? I believe it's a great opportunity. See, God invites people. He invites those living with guilt and shame. And He says, whosoever. He invites those who are living in fear of death. And how many people don't you know that are, li that are afraid to die? And He says, whosoever. This is the Father. Whosoever. You're one of them. There are people that feel unlovable and unworthy. And yet God opens His arm and says, whosoever. There are those who, who just have tried everything and, and they're just exhausted from running here and running there and after this and after that and, and they're, they're wondering, where next can I go? And God says, whosoever, whosoever believes in Him, in Jesus, that whosoever, that little word, it includes you and me, your neighbors, this community, our world. God does not desire for any to perish. And let's go to the next promise. It's the greatest rescue. The greatest rescue. Shall not perish. God is honest with us. And I'm glad. I don't want to be misled or deceived. I want to know the truth and I want it up front. 
The truth is, as Jesus said, those who believe on Him will not perish. Now, some churches don't like to talk about the reality of eternal punishment or that people who do not believe on Jesus will be eternally separated. Do you know that Jesus warned more about hell than He talked about the glories of heaven? If you look at the Gospels, He continually warns people about the reality of eternal punishment and hell. He talks a lot about heaven, and I'm glad for that, but He talks about the road that is narrow and leads to destruction. He talks about the road that, excuse me, the road that is narrow that leads to eternal life and the road that is wide and broad and leads to destruction. Jesus does not want anyone to be misled. He wants all people to know the truth. And this truth about perishing is a very sensitive matter, but it's a matter that needs to be addressed or otherwise a church cannot be called a true church of the gospel. If we are just so seeker-friendly, and I know churches who are, it's just love, 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 and you do good and you're okay, that's not true. You see, there's only one way to heaven, that's faith in Jesus Christ. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Even Peter got up in front of that mass of people on Pentecost and said there's no other name under heaven or upon earth whereby we must be saved. No other name. Not Buddha, not Mohammed, not Allah, not Confucius, not, not any other name. There's no other name. Because if you do not believe on the name of Jesus, then you will perish. You will face the judgment of God. The Apostle Paul, the Apostle Peter, the Apostle John, they warn people in their epistles about the judgment of God, that we will give an account. Now, when I stand before God, I don't have to be fearful. Why? Because I'm covered by the blood of Jesus. Remember last week when we came to communion? We talked about the bread representing the body, the cup representing the blood. Jesus said, I'm doing this for you for the forgiveness of sins. My sins are forgiven because I put my faith in Jesus Christ. I'm covered by His blood. The blood of atonement is over Pete Batches. So when I stand before God, the Father, Jesus is going to be standing right there saying, Father, I want to introduce you to my son, your son, Pete. I've redeemed him by my blood and he's believed on me. I want to ask you, do you have that assurance right here today that if you were to die and stand before God, that He would receive you, not because of your good works, because we can't earn our way into heaven. It's a gift of grace by faith. Paul says that in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. We receive it by faith, but it's God's gift to us. It's the work of Jesus Christ on our behalf. Do you have that confidence? See, Jesus was saying that to Nicodemus in the context of John 3.16. He's saying, Nicodemus, you need to have faith in me as the Son of God. You need to be born again by the Holy Spirit that you might have that assurance that God will accept you not because of who you are, but because of who I am and your faith in me. Yes, it's the greatest rescue that has ever been performed. Jesus came to rescue humanity. Several years ago, our church up in North Bend 
We had uh, Bibles called How to Find God, just a, a beautiful New Testament. And the Lord had put it on my heart, and I shared this with the leadership, to hand out 200 of these New Testament Bibles in the community directly around our church the, the day before Easter, the Saturday before Easter. So we had teams and team leaders, and we all took uh, a number of Bibles, maybe uh, 35, 40 Bibles each team, and we went door to door, two people with the Bibles and with an invitation to come to our Easter service. We knocked on the doors and said, hello, this is so-and-so from the community church just around the corner from you. We have a gift for you today. It's a New Testament Bible and an invitation to our Easter celebration. I'll never forget one door that we knocked on and the man opened the door and he saw us standing there and we offered him the Bible and he says, I don't want what you've got. I'm going to hell and I don't care. And he slammed the door. The two of us just stood there and prayed, Jesus Christ, have mercy on this man. What a hard heart. I don't want what you've got. I'm going to hell and I don't care. To slap God in the face, to mock Him. Bible, the Bible tells us God will not be mocked. You see, God wants to rescue us and redeem us. When Jesus died on the cross, He said these three words. It is, you know the next word? Finished. It is finished. In the Greek, that means it is paid in full. He paid for my sin. He paid for your sin. But only by believing on Him is that atonement applied to us. Jesus finished His work and He calls us to come to Him to be rescued from our situation of needing forgiveness to be rescued from our sin well that leads us to the last point the greatest opportunity the greatest opportunity because jesus ends this verse by saying but shall have eternal life there again is the key jesus offers us the free gift of eternal life we can't earn it we can't buy it and we certainly don't deserve it can anybody here say amen to that? But see, we have been offered the free gift of eternal life. Wow. We have a great God. He knows what eternity is all about because He has always been and always will be. He desires for those who He created to be with Him in eternal life and not be separated from Him in hell. Heaven is our home. As David said, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The greatest truths are that God provides eternal life for those who will receive His love and receive His gift and embrace Him by faith. Jesus is our only hope. And when we embrace Him, we can live in the joy of that hope each and every day. No matter what we may face. And you and I have no idea what, what the future holds, do we? What difficulties or trials or challenges. But when we know Jesus, and we know that we are in His hands, then we can look forward to that day when He will receive us into glory, into eternal life, and the reality is eternal life has already begun once we accepted Jesus. 
We've come into the glory of God because we have Christ in us, the hope of glory, says the Apostle Paul. We can be confident. I love what Anne Graham Lotz wrote, and I read this uh, this week in, in the devotional that I shared with you, The Joy of My Heart. And I thought, isn't it interesting that I'm reading it this week and I'm going to be preaching on it this Sunday. And Anne Graham Lotz writes this from the verse, Acts 4, verse 12, Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among given to men by which we must be saved. And here's what she writes. Do you know who says, who do you know who says we can each have our own religion as long as we're sincere? Does that person put a guilt trip on you for what he or she describes as a dogmatic, narrow-minded, intolerant, and exclusive faith? But the gospel wasn't our idea, was it? Jesus himself declared, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. We must come to God through Him or we don't come at all. I underline that. We must come to God through Jesus or we don't come to God at all. The Bible says emphatically that salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Just the name of Jesus. And who is Jesus? He is God Himself made visible to all. Praise God. And I join with Anne Graham Lotz, the daughter of Billy Graham, in saying, praise God. The Holy Spirit has revealed Jesus to Pete through the Word of God and through His divine intervention. He has done the same for you. And today, these seven great truths from one Scripture, the Gospel in a nutshell, are the truths that we have built our life upon and that we have the assurance of our eternity. We are in the hands of God for which we can be eternally grateful. Can you all say amen to that? Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for what you shared with Nicodemus about the way of everlasting life, giving him hope, but pointing out the truth that God so loved the world that whosoever believes on him should not perish but have everlasting life. And then, Jesus, you went on to explain to uh, this man, and you're explaining it to us in verses 17 and 18. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. Jesus, thank You for being truthful. Thank You for being clear and direct so there could be no misunderstanding. Now, Jesus, we pray that we may follow You in faith by the power of the Holy Spirit all the days of our life and that with rejoicing we may know and be assured that nothing can separate us from the love of God that we have in You, Christ, in You, uh, Lord, with the Father. We have that assurance. Now help us this, this week and in the weeks to come to keep looking to You, to keep thanking You, and to keep believing in the way that You've provided for each one of us by Your great gift of love and sacrifice. 
In Christ our Savior's name we pray this. Amen.